Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 401 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Megan, can you say 401? Four. Wait, I'm not supposed to say 401. 401, am I? 401. 401. Yes. Um, it's, it's a lot. It's just so funny to think about when we switched over from 99 to 100, how long it took me to be able to say. Like, I think it's the early, it's like the first 15, maybe, yeah. that feel real weird. And then we get yeah. used to the 400s. Well, we're in the 400s and Last week, we had a little pseudo celebration of that. Now we just keep, we keep on keeping on. So happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome. Today, we're talking about kids spending time alone and how mostly it's good for them, but it's also a little bit complicated. Um, we both read an article in The Atlantic by an, a writer named Faith Hill, not the country music icon Faith Hill. Are you sure about that? Because she's an actress too. So maybe she's like a triple threat. Well, I did look at the (laughs) bio and photo of this Faith Hill and no, I don't think they are one and the same, but that's a fun twist. The article is called how much alone time do kids need? And we will link it up in the show notes for those who want to also go read it. But sometimes it's fun for us to take kind of a topic from like parenting journalism and and chew on it, think about it a little bit, and then think about how it's maybe applied to our own lives as moms and our kids. And so I thought this article did a great job of giving us some things to think about and bringing in some research. So we're talking about our kids spending time alone um, and also what that looked like for us when when we were kids spending time alone, um, how different family dynamics and different kid personalities impact this. And and also how that changes as kids get older. I, I'm excited because I feel like this is a, a messy topic for me. It's not one where I'm like, yep, here's how, what are I stand and 
here's how I do it. I I'm all over the map on this one. Yeah. And I've, um, been alone all this week. Um, so Eric went up North to work on the commercial building that we bought up there and my kids are with their dad this week. And Isaac actually went with Eric too. So I realized that for the first time in a very long time, I have been kind of all alone this week. And the different, like, first of all, how hard that can be for me, not because I'm lonely, really, I'm not. I actually really like alone time, but I don't know how to direct my time because yeah. I'm so used to kind of orienting my agenda around other people. And I think that's something you get very in tune to as a mom. And then sometimes your personality also kind of adds another layer onto that. So it's been interesting for me to sort of through the lens of separating out, like, what does it mean just to be alone in a room, you know, like just physically by yourself and then to self-direct your time. And does wanting, does that urge to reach out to other people and kind of report in on what you're doing? Is that a personality thing? Is it a a tendency we have because we're all on social media now? I mean, there's just a lot to unpack there. There is. And we'll get into it when we talk about our kids, but I, I have to believe there's some pieces of it that come pretty hardwired, just anecdotally observing yeah. my own children. But I think for kids and adults, there is a practice, a, a practice makes it easier element. And I think in the article, either the author or maybe someone she was uh, quoting said, it's like, you know, eating a vegetable, like you got to try it a bunch and take small bites and eventually you may learn to like it or not, you know, and it yeah. really depends on the person. Um, I have always loved alone time and we'll get into that. But I, I know what it's like to be out of practice and, and to find yourself like with undirected time or time that's not, you know, impacted by another human and being like, Oh, like what, what do I do? I do. How do I manage this? Yeah. Um, And I also show up in alone time very differently if I'm starved for it or versus if I've had enough. Um, Brian's been working from home this week, which is reminiscent of a certain pandemic times. Um, he worked from home uh, for a year and a half, longer than the kids were out of school. Brian was out of the office. And then he, in June, 2021, he did go back into the office. I mean, who's counting? Who's counting, <laughs> I, I, right? I took a picture like on the front porch, <laughs> like you do with your kids, like, please leave. Oh my gosh. So this week they're moving physical offices across town. So everything's like in storage and stuff. And and he's home. And, and when he wanders out, I'm like, oh, hello. It's nice oh, to see you. you. Like yes. we could have lunch. That's because I'm not as starved for alone time as I was in 2021, in June 2021. So anyway, that's a little bit of a a sidebar. And we are mostly going to be talking about our kids today, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, I really liked this article of Faith Hills, uh, particularly because it doesn't come across as really dogmatic or instructive to parents saying like, you know, kids aren't getting enough alone time these days. Like, here's what you got to do. Um, I thought she did a good job of bringing in some like historical and cultural perspective of like, we're living in very different times than 200 years ago when kids had like eight siblings and worked in a factory. They didn't have alone time. But as we'll get into, she makes an argument for the fact that they might not have needed it as much as, as our kids do today. So Anyway, it's a good read. We will link to it. Um, we're we're not going to go paragraph by paragraph or anything, but we did kind of use use that to s- inspire some thoughts. I had to laugh when I was reading the article about her comment about you know having looking back historically at families with lots of kids, all of them sleeping in the same bed, and thinking about the fact that I had lots of kids and they voluntarily chose 
all to sleep in the same bed often. Like they would all pile into one bedroom and that was like the room they declared the sleeping room. And then they would declare other bedrooms like the hanging out room or the music room. Like they had this whole thing going. That doesn't mean like not all kids are great at knowing when they need alone time or they find it in really interesting ways. Like um, the kids who like to put themselves in boxes and like tight little corners, like the kids who will, but like a cat, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just thought that was kind of interesting too. Like kids will find ways to disconnect from other, other kids. Sometimes those are ways that for adults would be considered very rude. Uh-huh. Didn't, in the article, awkward. didn't she talk about just literally zoning out sometimes? Like yeah. how a kid can be at the dinner table or in the same room and yeah. they'll just sort of like go alone into their they go own away head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. fascinating. Um, I know we, I know we have to take a break, but I wanted to say one other thing really quick. You and I have had lots of conversations about why we want to be alone. And I think that sometimes it's silly little stuff like wanting to listen to your music without feeling self-conscious about the music Mm -hmm. you're choosing, Mm -hmm. wanting to talk to your Alexa or your Google home without anyone else hearing what you're saying to it. Like there can be so many in a funny voice to your cat (laughs) or that. (laughs) Um, There's just so many things that come with being alone. It doesn't always mean you're like engaged in some, I don't know, like, creative process that you can't be interrupted. It's sometimes it's just the most mundane stuff that you want to do without being observed. And I think we sometimes under or downplay that and how important that can be for us and for kids and for kids. Absolutely. Yep. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready to eat meals from our sponsor factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite Factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. (laughs) And I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. 
Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code mom hour. Okay. So before we start talking about our kids, let's talk about ourselves as kids a little bit. And I want to know, Megan, when you were a kid, do you remember being alone a lot? Did you like it? Did you have a lot of alone time? And then in hindsight, knowing what you know now, do you think it was good for you? So, um, I was alone a lot as a kid. Um, it's kind of funny because when I look back, there's like stages where I think the aloneness was sort of a way of checking out from being in a big family. So I was the youngest of four. I had so many memories of imagine like imaginative play where I'm playing with my <laughs> fake friends. I had many and or just being in my own little world. And I think I needed it and liked it a lot. And then I think as my siblings got older and moved out, then maybe I started to feel a little lonelier or like was more craving someone around to talk to. Cause I really kind of, I sort of lived the life of an only child for several years yeah. um, from like 10 to 13 or 14, something like that. So um, I have more good memories of being alone as a kid than I do of being with my friends or even with my siblings, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of time laying on the carpet, like, I I wrote on my Instagram recently about having this very clear memory of being about nine laying in a snowbank with a piece of wood that I named Bordy. Like I'll never, I I can't forget it. Like in the twilight laying in a snowbank with a piece of wood that I gave to a name and just talking to myself, I would talk to myself in the bathtub. So I was very good company for myself. Mm -hmm. And I, I spent a lot of time in my imagination. I spent a lot of time reading. Um, I think in middle school, I dealt with social anxiety and social overwhelm by losing myself in a book all the time. Like I was just the kid who always had a book out. Here was the thing, though. I would never consciously and intentionally choose to be alone. And when I became more popular, that became a problem. So when I was a total nerd with no friends, had it not been for the fact that there was kind of like a social stigma attached to being alone. Mm-hmm. And I knew there was this idea out there called popularity and that I should desire popularity. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was like a thing, but I didn't actually feel lonely. I just right. felt weird about being alone. And so that like there was judgment. Exactly. So it was like layering that, is- mm-hmm. like layering that isolation with the social dynamics. That was really hard. But if you had taken that away, I would have been very, very happy being alone a lot of the time, it was just that when, and I had friends, it's not like I didn't have any friends. It was when my friends had an expectation or a desire for me to do something with them or my mom or anybody, Mm -hmm. I would drop my agenda and immediately think the better thing is to be hanging out with them. So I remember a lot of begging for sleepovers, even knowing in the back of my mind that maybe I didn't even really want the sleepover. Mm -hmm. And Um, it's like, if it was possible to have, you should probably have it. Yeah. And I will also just say, skipping forward 
decades and decades, when I was dating, I would rather go on a bad date than stay home. Now that, and I knew that I would know it. Like as I was sitting there in this restaurant, having a bad date, I'd be thinking, I would rather be alone right now. But yet here I am on this date and I think I should just stay, you know, mm-hmm. I should just do, I should just keep doing this. And so I don't, it's just interesting when there's that level of like cognitive dissonance between what you know you need and what you're purposely doing. And I, yeah. yeah and I was like that as a little kid. So that was like a really long winded way of saying, I think as someone who identifies mostly as an extrovert, it's surprising how much I actually like, liked to be alone and needed it then and need it now. And the, the issue is I don't choose it always as much as I should. Yeah. Well, and I guess if this article has a slant, it is that it is developmentally important for kids to have some amount of alone time. Now, what, how much and doing what is, is probably depends on the family and the kid. But I did think this was interesting. It says studies have shown that when young people seek out solitude for themselves, the effects are far more positive than if it's imposed on them. So that kind of made me, when you were talking, I thought of that quote that there's this weird balance between it's like spinach. It's good for us. We know we, kids need it, but there's a tricky balance because if, if you impose it upon a kid and, and it's not what they want, it's not going to do, you're not going to have the benefits if they don't find their way to it themselves. That's tricky. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about high school and I was almost never alone in high school. I had a big group of friends. I had finally become, you know, a sought after member of the social circles of my school. And I was not letting that go. Um, and so I, I just bounced from social engagement to social engagement to social engagement. And that was really rough on my grades. I was not good at like taking care of myself in that way and taking care of the things that I had to take care of. I would just take care of the person in front of me whatever they needed. So maybe what they needed was to hang out. Maybe that was what I saw as like my contribution say to that friendship. Um, I actually remember a a teacher or a principal pulling me into his office and trying to explain to me that I could, you know, that like spending so much time with my friends wasn't good for my grades. And I kept saying, but my, my friends all get really good grades. And he said, it's not about your friends. It's about you. You, you need to take some time for yourself and your schooling. And I was like, what? So there was a time I got grounded for a really long time. I was in, I believe, 11th grade. I don't, it was grades related. My grades were so bad. My dad was like, I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to grade you or ground you for like the whole marking period, which felt like. That's a, that's a long time. Long time. 15. Yes. Or 12 when you were 11th grade. I know. I can never imagine your ages. I think I was like 15. So I, um, was not happy about that. The funny thing is, I think it was actually great for me because I had a perfect excuse to not like me. I don't think my dad was thinking of it that way, but maybe, maybe he's like, this is the only way I can get you out of the clutches of your social circles for a while so that you can focus on some other stuff around here. And I have these great memories of doing the Cindy Crawford, um, oh my gosh, full body workout videos, like alone (laughs) in my bedroom every night. Like I had a little routine. I would, I would listen to my um, CDs that I had just gotten a CD player. I'd listen to whatever. I had like three CDs. I'd listen to those over and over. I would write notes to my friends about how much I hated my parents. Oh, sure. And then I would do the Cindy Crawford total body workout video. Oh my gosh. And I'd listen to, um, show tunes. I love 
love it. And make and choreographed dances. Okay, it's getting dorkier. I'm gonna stop. Oh no, I, I for saying? sure spent alone time choreographing dances <laughs> to show tunes in my room. So same. But I was gonna say that actually kind of flies in the face of that last quote we picked apart, which is in that case it was imposed upon you, and yet you found you found the way that it worked for you. I guess the type of yeah. alone time was not imposed upon you. It was just no, the, and I was still going to school. I still had yeah. friends. I wasn't like locked in a a castle or something. I do right. think it was like a, it was like a, a temporary enforced period of time every day that I didn't have other people's agenda sort of yes. like infringing on my own. And that I hated it, but I actually think it was good for me. Yeah. What well, <laughs> so I, uh, I loved hearing all of that. I also uh, spent a good amount of time alone as a kid, but I'm the oldest of three. I think my, I think some of it, I just was hardwired. Uh, the things I liked to do were quiet and solitary. I loved when I was really little, I'm talking about five, six, seven. I liked to draw. I liked to write. I liked to kind of like putter around my room or organize my things. I'd let my room get really, really messy. And then I'd spend a whole day putting it back to rights um, and kind of, I don't know, putting my books in color order it and just feels like, like Sarah's best life. It's still Sarah's best little life. Sarah's best life. It's also 43 year old Sarah's right. best life. Yeah. So I remember feeling very happy in that kind of alone time as a kid and a, um, you know, tween. And even as a teen, I was very busy as a teen. So I was, I had good friends and I was at dance constantly. So I, there's a few journal entries I can remember. This is more like junior high and high school where I would say something about like, I'm just looking forward to a Friday night at home with no plans, which is so funny because that's like still what I would look forward to today. And that's like a 30 year old thing to say. Yes, like that's the sort of thing you start you're saying. 14. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Later in life. Yeah. And I think for me, you talked about like being very socially oriented and um, probably needing a break from other people's priorities. I think I it was I had friends, but I was less tuned into social dynamics probably than you were. I was very tuned into expectations. So for me as like a kind of like performer in the, in the literal sense, but also in grades and behavior um, and responsibility, I think being alone was like a break from what I perceived as expectations and probably still, you know, probably still is to some degree. So I, I have a ton of compassion for kids who are wired with that a little bit of um, whatever. I don't know if you want to call it perfectionist or like live up to everybody's expectations. Um, I can see how being alone would be important because that is an exhausting way to live and something that you kind of, you have to, you have to learn to navigate throughout your life and find healthy ways to, to deal with that. But being alone is certainly a break from, you can't disappoint anybody if you're alone, you're yeah. just with yourself. Um, so I mostly, I mostly have positive memories of being alone, but as I reflect back, I can see how some of it was that I was not on. I was not like, I wasn't checking a box or doing the right thing. It's that like that do the right thing all the time thing when I could finally kind of take a break from that. Um, I do remember, and this is funny. I think I was a bit of a Brady cat. I, I think I had more anxiety at the time than I think I even realized, but I remember I would love to be home alone. So as the oldest, I got to stay home alone when my mom would take my brother and sister somewhere and I'm talking about like 9, 10, 11, you know, and I'd be home for half an hour or an hour or a couple hours. 
But if it would get too long, my imagination could get, I was like afraid of, you know, kidnappers and burglars and I was still pretty little and I ran anxious and I'll never forget one time I wanted to stay home alone. We were visiting family in Oregon and everybody walked to the park with the little kids and I was the oldest. I was probably maybe 11 at this point, maybe. And I said, I'll stay back. But it wasn't my house. It was my aunt and uncle's house. And I felt like after probably 45 minutes, I just felt like they'd been gone too long. I didn't know this house. I worked myself into a full lather. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Like a white van was going to cruise by or that like some, or that maybe something was going to happen to my family who was out in the world. This is before cell phones. So it's funny that I loved the responsibility and the freedom and that autonomy of staying home alone. But then at a certain point it would turn and I could become very afraid. And that actually happened all the way up through as the longer and longer periods. I got to stay alone, like in high school, later high school, I got to stay home alone for a couple of days at a time. And I was very responsible and all that, but I would be afraid. So I just find that interesting too, that there's that, like when you're alone, you're really alone. And that's a little bit existential as a kid. Yeah, it, it is. And I think that I, I think that I was comforted by being surrounded by people or even one other person, even when I didn't particularly want to deal with them yeah. <laughs> or like, yeah. Um, two things came up when you were talking and I know we need to get to talk uh, around to talking about our kids and, and kids in general, I mean, not just ourselves, no, but just it, you know, it all, it all kind of goes together. Right. Um, and I think it's important to understand the reasons that we may or may not choose to be alone. Cause it does help us understand our kids a little bit better. Yeah. One thing you had mentioned um, just like, I'm just going to stay in tonight and, you know, work on myself or do my nails or whatever. I've always been great at that if I have one other person to do it with. Mm. So um, for a long, like uh, college, Jenna was my roommate and we hardly went out at all. And we didn't really make other friends. It was just her and me. As long as I had her like a partner. Yeah. Then I felt like it was somehow some of that. I don't know if it was anxiety or what. And we could be parallel doing parallel activities. We weren't even necessarily doing anything together. So I do think there's another distinction to be made. And that's like the social butterfly who wants to be out with lots of different people doing stuff. And then the person who wants to be totally alone or like on opposite ends of the spectrum. And then there's some, there's lots in the middle, right? There's lots of like different ways we may or may not want to engage with the greater world. And I think that's worth just mentioning. Yeah, I think so too. And as we get into kind of clarifying what it's like for a kid, what defines a kid who is alone? I mean, I think you and Jenna together is not alone time technically. It was like you finding a way to do more solitary, quiet activities, but it was probably developmentally pretty different than if you had been all the way alone. Not saying I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It might have been the healthiest thing for you at that time. Um but I'm thinking of Violet, who I'll talk about as as we go. Violet would be fine. Quiet activity with a friend has a very, very hard time truly just truly being, alone. being alone. Yeah. 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 Um, and the other thing that popped into my head when you were talking about being alone, giving you a break from expectations. Mm-hmm. I think that for me, it's a little different. For me, it's the um, constant giving without even knowing I'm doing it because it feels painless in the moment. The constant giving in or subjugating what I might really want to what the other person or people want. And so that could be, if I was in a car with someone else, letting them choose the radio station. Um, It could be at home, letting someone else choose whether the TV's on and what's playing. It it could be the lighting. 
Like there's things that I don't think they don't feel big or like irritants in the moment. But this week, me thinking I can turn the TV on or not, I can have the lights on or not. It's not like anybody would have told me you can't turn the light on, but usually I'm pretty easygoing and I would just be like, oh, okay, you want the light on? Sure. You don't want it on? Okay. And I think we don't always think about this, the incremental ways that adds up. And don't you think our kids are probably the same? I mean, they're, yeah. they are also developing like, you know, autonomous humans with desires and they're, I mean, childhood is if nothing, but like a, a time to learn when your desires can dominate versus like when, yes. you know, to check them. That's like what's happening <laughs> as kids develop. So I would imagine that's even more vital that they get that, that time. I Um, agree. And the time to know the difference because nothing is more irritating than someone who who always has to have their way be the way. Like a three-year-old. And maybe you don't get the ability to, I mean, I think that there's like, it's like being with people and being without people gives you the ability to like flex muscles in both directions. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I thought this was interesting from the article. Um, She says, although it's common to dwell on whether kids have too much alone time, adults don't tend to consider whether kids have enough of it. And of course, this article really is making the case that they do need some. But she said researchers told her people seem entirely uncomfortable with the idea of a solitary child. And I almost was like, I'm not sure I agree with that. I actually think There's a lot of romance to, (laughs) I I mean, a lonely or depressed child is one thing, but actually I think, and maybe we're just, we've evolved in our thinking of how we think of, um, creative people and imaginative people and how important that is. I actually think there's something quite romantic about you in the snowbank with Bordy, like to me, and maybe because I was, I was happily alone as a child. But maybe that is a societal thing that people worry about the kid who has no friends or, um, but seems relatively okay with it. So I don't know. I think we talk out both sides of our mouth. I think we're constantly talking. And I, when I say we, I don't mean you and I, I mean like, okay. you know, social scientists, the parenting culture at large, there's yeah. so much talk about the importance of unstructured time for kids, which does, isn't the same as being alone, but one lends itself to yeah. the other. You know, you, it, it's like the more unstructured time, the more likely that some of that will be spent alone sure. and vice versa. Right. Um, we, we talk about how important it is, but we've done nothing to structure our schools, our communities, our expectations of parents, our expectations of kids. Like literally we keep talking about it, but nothing has changed. And if anything, it's gotten worse. I agree. So it's like, yeah, it's easy to romanticize me laying in a, in a snowbank with Bordy, my best friend, my best piece (laughs) of wood friend, um, who was my only friend that whole year, I think. No, probably not. But it's easy to romanticize that. And, and I do it too. Um, but do I set my kids' lives up? Yeah, so you're right. So they have that? No, right. I, I don't because I got to work and because nobody else in the neighborhood's doing it and it would seem weird. And because everybody keeps saying they have to have activities like, yeah. and because they have phones and because they have yeah. TV and internet. So yes and no. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. I, I state not that you are correcting me, but I, I think you're right that the, like romanticizing it is one thing, but um, we must as a society be rather uncomfortable with it because we've built systems so that it does not exist. Well, that or or we just can't deal with the material fallout, which is kids wandering around without things to do yep. because it makes us less economically 
uh, productive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's most, that's probably it, right? Yeah. Like if you need activities so your kids are yes. safe um, so that you can contribute to the gross domestic product, yeah. you know, I just, it, it's like, it all kind of goes together. And yes, it does. And when you're talking about like romanticizing that too, there are so many books that come out about kids who are dreamy mm-hmm. and solid, you know, solitary, but they're all kind of weird, right? Yeah. I mean, we want to romanticize that, but we don't know that we want our kids to be that sure. because then they don't fit the mold. So that's yeah. like a lot of me just. No, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. I, I stand not corrected, but nuanced. I stand nuanced. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, you mentioned this and I think this is a great time to do it. I want to like clarify a little bit what we're talking about when we talk about a kid spending time alone versus there's a couple other dynamics that are often overlapping. You hinted at one of them, but especially in the early years, there are, there's a difference between like a clingy kid and a kid who won't play, like who won't grow up to want any alone time. Right. Yeah. And I honestly did not notice any difference. Well, let me say, I did not notice the presence or absence of clinginess in a child to relate in any way to their like desire for solitude later or the way that they interacted with other humans later. It it didn't seem that way to me. I think sometimes like in, when you read attachment theory, like sometimes the most attached, and I mean like physically, the, the ones who are clinging to your leg when they're one, two and three year old, um, become quite autonomous and comfortable either in solitude or at least separating from mom. So I do that tracks for me, honestly, the clingiest ones probably were a little more solitude oriented. Yes, I would agree. Um, for, for me too. And the other thing about that is we're, we tend to lump you and I, we do these episodes and we know we have people listening with one year olds to 20 year olds. So we kind of collectively say kids. I know that the when I'm talking about my kids in this topic, I'm talking probably about six and up, five and up, yeah. something like that. There's um, there's a very we get a lot of questions about how do I get my kid to play for longer periods of time by themselves? And that is a worthy question. And I'll speak a little later about which of my kids were good at that and not. But also, I think every child is on some kind of trajectory to needing you less in the first five or six years. So yeah. probably worth mentioning in case you're wondering, like if your three-year-old is not getting enough alone time, they just right. probably aren't quite ready. Um, the other one you mentioned, Megan, is like this overlap between unstructured play versus playing alone. And I almost am picturing like some kind of Venn diagram. This article is good for me. It kind of made me think about how I was as a mom of younger kids, I was really on the soapbox and beating the drum of the importance of that unstructured time. And I was really um, intentional about not adding a lot of extracurriculars when my kids were young and being home a lot and in our yard a lot. And probably to a degree that was like, I didn't need to be so into it, but I was. But as I think back, I don't think I really noticed at all which of those developing kids were getting enough alone time. I just didn't want them. I didn't want them on iPads all the time. And I didn't want them overscheduled with extracurriculars all the time. But actually, I think I was trying to get them to play together as much (laughs) as possible. And, and looking back, there were probably ones who, whose unstructured time would have gravitated more solo. And that was Reed. And we'll talk about him. 
But then others who where sibling play or maybe a neighbor neighbor playmate would have helped that unstructured time. So I think going into this article, they were almost overlapping circles. And now I, I'm yeah. seeing them pretty different. You can have a priority of unstructured time and free play and all of that pl- go out in the woods and get dirty type of thing. But a lot of that is quite social. So alone time is not the same. It's not. But I kind of feel like one leads to the other. Right. And and yeah. I do think that you in particular, you make me think of someone who um, structured time in such a way that alone time could happen for a kid who wanted it. I'm thinking so. about like enforced nap times for slightly older kids or rest times. Mm-hmm. Are they really about sleep or are they about giving that kid a break from the world? And yeah. And aren't the kids who want at least the ones who want to be alone the least? I mean, in my experience, the kids who didn't want nap time are the ones who wanted to hang out with other people or wanted to be around mom. So there's that, but also, you know, maybe by offering the unstructured time, you don't have to like, maybe the rest of it kind of sort itself out because that's a good point. I'm thinking it might've been a little weird for me to go to my five young children and be like, okay, now everyone needs alone time right now. (laughs) Go get it. I mean, even the kids who were solitude oriented might not have wanted it in that moment. Right. Um, but that might be the kid who would crawl into a corner later and give it to themselves. So I, I think when they have the, the loose time, the unstructured time, they can kind of choose. And as long as they have space and as you're not all in one room yeah. together all the time, um, as long as they have some outlet or some way to hide what maybe it's behind a book. Yeah. So, I think that's a good point. I think, and yeah. and she says that in the article too. Like when we all wax poetic about free range childhoods, usually what you're talking about is like playing with the neighbor kids in the street till dark. But that yeah. that that there were lots of opportunities for a kid to wander off in a snowbank as well. And so it's almost like one board. enables the other. I think you're right. I I remember. Um, I think I've maybe shared this before, but my mom taking me to a specialist when I was a kid because my legs kept falling asleep and it turned out that that it was because I was hiding in the bathroom with a book on the toilet for so long that my legs were repeatedly falling asleep. And then it was the whole thing. At home or at school? (laughs) At school you were doing that? Uh, No more at home. Okay. At school there were other places to hide, but at home (laughs) that's how I would check out. I would just go in the bathroom and stay there. And it was nice and warm. There was always like a, a vent right on the floor and my niece Ruby does the same thing. And so there's like a joke in the house. Like, is she actually using the bathroom yeah. for an hour and a half or is she hiding with a book? She's hiding with a book. So I just, I think that kids find a way, right? I love that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately. And it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. 
Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. So now at last, at long last, we are going to talk about um, some of our children, our combined have eight children. Can we just talk about ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have, we've set the framework too, for yeah. understanding them a little bit better. Um, so I'm curious, how were your kids in their younger years? We can put some rough ages around this, but I'm thinking those early elementary five, six, seven, eight, like that kind of age range at when it came to being alone. So I, especially were there any standouts, like particularly good at it, particularly bad at it. We don't need to talk about all of them. You know, we do have so many. A lot. Well, I just decided to talk about my oldest two because I was, first of all, they were a, a case study in opposites in so many ways, as often happens with number one and two. And also because I was so new at it when they were kind of um, easing into their personalities that I think that was when I took it most seriously. <laughs> and like later as more added, I realized there's so many, there's a spectrum of normal. So I would say Isaac was so good at being alone that it got to the point that I worried about him as a early middle schooler. I didn't realize because Jacob is terrible at it. Um, mm -hmm. Still true about him. Um, Jacob was so social, so wanting to talk to everybody. So wanting to talk all the time. So wanting to share and emote like all, you know, his life from a very young age really circled around his social life at school. I knew the names of all of the classmates and friends, like all of those things. And Isaac would kind of come home and shrug and be like, yeah, I guess I have some kids at school. He might know like one name, maybe, but he usually get it wrong. Like he just didn't care. Yeah. And they were so opposite. I didn't quite know what to make of Isaac. And I did think maybe that there was a problem. I thought maybe he was depressed or like, didn't like me when he was, you know, 10, 11, 12. Um, he started, he picked up guitar in high school and then he would just sit and play guitar in his room. And I remember feeling a lot of relief when I could hear the strains of his guitar wafting mm -hmm. down because I'm like, oh, okay, he's doing something creative. That's what loner kids are supposed to do. Like again, playing to that, those stereotypes. I'm like, oh, he's doing the thing. Okay, cool. And then I kind of relaxed about it, but I really um, had a bit of a hard time with it when he was young. And the funny thing is, 
he's still like that. He's still really good at being alone. He's still, I think is like living in a little dreamland of his own half the time, but he's very well adjusted. And I, I'm glad I was able to actually see such a contrast in my oldest two because it made me kind of chill out about the later three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Well, I, I picked two opposites as well. And that is Reed and Violet, who are my second and third. Um, Reed was so adept at independent play from a very young age. I mean, actually, like from a toddler on. Um, I mean, he would also play with siblings and... I was going to say at preschool. No, at preschool, he was completely alone. I wasn't worried about it. He was my second kid. And I think I was, I wasn't too worried about it, but I have a picture of him eating lunch at preschool. I must've stopped by, I think he did like lunch bunch where I picked him up right after lunch. And I have a a picture of him sitting by himself eating lunch. He's like three or four and just happily eating his lunch alone. I'm glad I didn't worry about that too much. But when you talked about Isaac, not knowing anybody's names, Reed, I I really thought maybe he had face blindness like for a long time. Like he just, it was like not important to him. The, the, um, the social connections until it was, he's got great friends now. Um, he still makes small groups of friends or one or two at a time, but just to set anybody's, I guess, little mama heart at ease. He was a very socially solitary preschooler and kindergartner until maybe second grade started having some good friends. But then at home with me, which was where the rubber hit the road because I was working more, Violet would go down for a nap. He would just play. Sometimes he'd narrate his play and kind of want me nearby. But honestly, he didn't really care. He didn't ask to watch a show. He just would. And the things that he gravitated toward, puzzles, building, Lego, um, reading. I mean, he was such an early reader that he could disappear into a book by the time he was five, like a real book. Um, so he was like the poster child of alone time. And a little later, I'll talk about what it's like now he's coming up on 13, but that was, that was very nice for me. It was, it was very nice. So I had a first child who was compliant and relatively go with the flow. And then a second child who was like, could play by himself for hours. And then I had a third child who was (laughs) all the things. Just when you thought you had it all together. Yeah. Um, who really could not play by herself until I'm going to say eight and a half, like at all, at all, at all, at all, like wanting not just someone in the room for parallel play, because that's different, but actually wanting to be played with and be entertained or to entertain someone and also who played in big and messy ways. Like, let's make a fort. Let's plan a party. Let's have 18 people over. Like just, you know, she goes big, like, you know, the full full on all all the time, ultraviolet. And that was, it was as a third child, it was hard for me because I was ready to have some alone time. And so uh, I'll talk in a bit about how that's evolved, but I had two huge extremes. Um, And, and in terms of Violet's not wanting to be alone, like really a lot of it was like, didn't even want to be in a room alone, would follow someone around the house, like to that, to that level. Yeah. I, there's so many parallels between her and Luna, my um, yeah. youngest niece of John yeah. and Jenna's kids. Um, and the, the really rough part that I've witnessed is that kids like that exhaust themselves on other people, if that makes sense, or other people get exhausted with them. Yeah. So it can lead to a lot of really tricky social dynamics because you're like, I feel bad for this kid who thinks everyone is annoyed with them all the time. 
but everyone is annoyed with them all the time. (laughs) And I feel bad for the kids who are annoyed because they're annoying. It's like, it's, and you just hope, well, they do grow out. They don't grow out of it. They grow into it, right? They Mm -hmm. grow into, you've talked about, well, you'll get into how Violet's growing into it, but yeah, I, I feel that for you for sure. Yeah. And even when, um, the play was like, you remember we've, we've reminisced about the pet shop days, like the pretend mommy pretend with me. And, um, like Clara would make you pretend to be choosing a, anyway, both Clara and Violet played the pretend where we have to pick a puppy from a pet store or something. Um, a lot of Violet's play was, it was unstructured and creative in those ways that I talked about earlier, really like really a positive, um, like she's, she's unbelievably innovative and creative and productive. And she's like an incredible, um, she's so resourceful. She's scrappy. She can build or do anything. She can have an idea and make it happen, but just very rarely by herself. So it's interesting because I, I got to see the benefits of creative unstructured time. It was just, it required another freaking human all always. And that was exhausting. She's probably going to be an amazing delegator. And yeah. team builder, like she'll yeah. probably be somebody who can manifest anything because she'll be able to pull together just the right people mm-hmm. to like make it happen. And when she has someone to match her energy, she's very generous. She's a hard worker. Like if you ever yeah. clean her room with her, she's a very hard worker, way harder than my other two kids who will kind of loll about. Um, so it's like she needs she needs another energy ball to kind of match or at least come close to matching hers. And then she can take on the world. But that solitude is hard, man. All right. Well, you, you did hint at how Jake and Isaac's little kid aloneness like continued on, but I'm curious about what other kids you have, what other kids you have, (laughs) your other many children and how it looks as teenagers. And if, if anything is different about the way your older kids and teens have been in their alone time. Well, I do think this is interesting because I just think that my, first of all, Jake and Isaac are now adults and they've got their own thing going on. So it's kind of hard to say like, what does this look like for them and their lives now? Um, Owen is an older high schooler who gravitates more toward self-isolation, but honestly, he also went through COVID um, forced isolation at the worst possible time for a kid like him. And it really wrecked a lot of his budding social networks. So the jury's still out. I don't actually know if his solitude proclivity is what he would choose, what he would have chosen if yeah. given a choice. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. yeah. So I'll talk about Clara and Will, because I think they're a little bit more, they're better case studies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think Clara, who was very clingy to me and needy as a, as a little one, is truly good at being alone. Um, she's, it's almost like a, a sport for her. She's always preferred it. Um, I would say when she was really little, she wanted to kind of do what she wanted to do next to me. And now she would rather I wasn't even in the room. And that was kind of a hard transition for me. I was like, oh, so you don't want to come snuggle in my bed and read anymore? And she's like, well, no, I just like my bed better. Yeah. And so that was, I used to just kind of count on always being wanted by her. And now, Often I'm not. And that's just, I don't know. That was kind of weird. Um, but she just like lies in bed and draws. She watches these little cartoons that she likes. She just does what she wants. She listens to her music. She sets her room up the way she wants. And she's not constantly on her phone. She's not somebody. And, and we'll, I'm sure, talk about this. I'll, I'll talk about this a little more when I talk about Will. Yeah. But there's a difference between being alone and being alone with a phone. 
Oh uh, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And the phone can become a crutch for us too, by the way, for adults oh, too. <laughs> 100%. So, you know, am I alone this week when I've been talking with you every single day and like checking with people on my phone? Probably not as much as I could be. So she really isn't, she'll lose track of her phone. She's, she's got a couple of buddies that she will text her FaceTime with, but it's, it's like they do it, um, almost in a sort of planned way. Like they'll watch a show together and have their phone set up and I'll hear her talking and laughing, but it's like for an hour and then it's over. It's not like she's not doing that all day long. She's not on constantly in text groups or um, Snapchat or anything like that. So I think she just really likes it. And she's always been that way. When she was very little, um, we had a huge amount of sleepover culture in my really close friend group and family. The, the kids didn't really go to a lot of sleepovers outside of that group, but they had cousins their age. And it was constantly like they were just going back and forth right. between the houses. And Clara, more often than not, would opt out of the sleepover part. She always wanted to be with friends, always. But she would be, like, she wanted the opportunity to be with friends. Mm -hmm. But there was a time of the evening for her where it was, she was done. And we would kind of have this little system where I would check in with her and say, okay, um, I'm getting ready to leave. You can stay if you want. I'll come back and check in with you in a few minutes. And then I'd kind of take her aside. And she'd let me know what she really wanted. Because she would feel mm -hmm. bad about saying love that she you didn't did want to stay. Yeah. And, or sometimes even if I was like running an errand, I might say, do you want to keep hanging out here or do you want me to take you home? And, and very often she'd say, I'm ready. I'm ready to go home. She just wanted to be in her own space mm -hmm. and was good at recognizing that. So Will is not particularly good at it. Um, William needs solitude. When he was a little kid, he would be the one who would put himself to bed or like crawl under, crawl his top half of his body under a sofa and fall asleep. I have many photos of him, like just butt in the air, either sleeping or hiding, but he's also very much a people pleaser and gets very in, entrenched in other people's social dramas and things yeah. and has a really hard time shutting it off. And when he was home, um, over the holiday, he and I had a couple conversations about phones and kids and how he really could not self-regulate and that he made it seem like he was self-regulating, but was not, and that it was extremely bad for him. And I mean, he's never spoken quite so. So he, as a college freshman, was telling you about what it was like for him a few years like ago? Is that what you mean? Schooler. As a yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, how he would know that he needed to read, the way he put it, he would need to recharge his social battery, but had no opportunity to do it. Yeah. Because there, there were streaks happening. And he, and this is stuff that to me, felt not very uh like it felt kind of benign I mean I don't care if a kid wants to check in on their phone with someone every day like what do I care but imagine that multiplied by dozens of people he's keeping up streaks yeah. with and feels like he can't leave a message on red because that's gonna you know hurt someone's feelings or ruin him socially it wasn't like anything bad was happening it was just all of it together led to a lot of pressure and him not getting his needs met and him not having the boundaries or the ability to say, no, I got to shut this off. I, you know, I can't. So I thought that was really interesting. And then he said, um, the biggest challenge for him his first semester of college was that he wants to have the dorm room. Everyone wants to hang out in and then didn't realize that by 
setting it up that way. Now there's always people around. So he's yeah. he's like learning. He's very self-aware. It sounds very self-aware. Yeah. But it's also like, oh, so I said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, what are your options? Like, what can you do? And he said, if I just ask everyone to leave, they will. No one's going to care. <laughs> so I said, OK. I mean, it's not always easy for people to do. And uh, I'm glad that he at least knows that will help solve it. I, I don't know that he'll be able to do it right away. It's so tricky as yeah, it's all so tricky. I, I see some parallels in Luke, my 14, almost 15 year old of feeling like part of the identity is being a good friend and a help, like an engaged friend. And that is a, that's a great asset in life. But with these phones that they have, like the way that you perform that is available 24 seven. It's not like if, when we were back in our day, like when we were there, a good friend would call you on your birthday. And when you had lunch or coffee with them, you'd be making eye contact and really listening or, or sending letters from camp. Like yeah. there were just these now the, the, the expectations. Pos- yes. were yeah. yeah. I really, I feel for that. And it's, I mean, back to the alone time thing, it's a good reminder that one could be by oneself in a room and feel a whole bunch of social pressure to be with people, even yep. without people in the room. So well, as older kids, I thought I would just talk about the same two kids and kind of update because it's interesting. I think Violet probably really started having the skill set. I'm not saying she likes to be alone, but having a, a wider skill set of alone time, um, probably like between eight and nine. And she just turned 10. Um, and it was funny because prior to that, the only time she would be in her room by herself would be either she was sleeping because it was nighttime or because she had gotten mad and thrown a fit and run down our very long hall, <laughs> slammed the door and was probably in there like writing hate mail to the rest of the family. We used to get a lot of like really phonetically written mean notes or maybe like destroying property. She used to like throw on the walls. I mean, this is I'm, I'm lumping together a bunch of behaviors, yeah. not all like from the same phase. But and then it was so funny when she started to just choose to be in her room doing a little art. She'll paint her nails. She'll do makeup. She'll listen to music. She'll write in her journal. And it started probably a year, year and a half ago. I was so weirded out. Like Megan, I would like, I'd come and I'd knock and I'd I'd be like, everything okay? She'd be like, yeah. And then it's like, I wouldn't believe her. I'd be like, okay. And then I'd like come back like 15 minutes later. Like, you sure you're okay? Which by the way, none of that is good parenting. Like I should have just been like, cool. Like this is the phase we're in now, but it was such a stark difference that I like, it was so funny to me. Um, so she's much better about it now. I will say she, she values, um, connection with others so much that if I do need her to be by herself, like if I'm working and she's home, um, I can do little things like I'll say like, Ooh, can I bring you a blanket and a couple of books? And you're going to sit here because I'm going to go record the podcast. And you know, but if I do a little, if I add a little you know, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I find that goes a long way with her. It's like she she loves that feeling of being cared for and nurtured. Yes. And I can do that proactively. She's also like she just she's a creature. She loves soft blankets and yeah. cozy spaces. And so I can sort of grease the wheels a little bit now. And, you know, she still is her. She's still hardwired to be violent. So she's going to be socially oriented. I just have found there are ways I can grease the wheels a little well, you're bit proactively putting deposits in the bank. Right. Yeah. So yes. And that's yeah. something we've talked about with little doing with little kids of all types. Sometimes you give them that 30 minutes and then you get the whole day yeah. <laughs> or whatever a period of time is reasonable yes. for their age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Um, and then Reed, who was like so good when he was younger, I, I kind of think he's in a phase right now where he's not as happy to be alone. It's less for social reasons. He has some good friends, but it's less that he's asking to hang out with friends all the time. It's more that his list of solitary pursuits has graduated to be mostly video games and Magic the Gathering, which is not usually a one-person game, although he can sit there with a deck for hours. And it's almost like I feel like he's a little... Now, this is, I think, classic, like, just puberty for the most part, Mm -hmm. to cut to the chase. But it's almost like he's in a rut of the types of solitary activities that he enjoys and we we still are fairly limited with video games we're not nothing by any means but he would always want more so he's like kind of broody and like he wants Brian to play magic the gathering with him and and so it is interesting um that the kid who was so good at it still i think he still enjoy he still likes to read he still will sit in his room and look at his magic cards but it's like the list is too short now and his little brain and body are growing so fast that like he needs, he needs either more social time or a new solo hobby. Is Reed the kind of kid and, and I could see him being this way um, because I think he and Owen have some parallels uh, where if he doesn't see the point of something, like it it isn't fun for him. (laughs) Yes. 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 Uh, Although I think you could, you could move around that, like the point. Cause he, I don't see the point of magic, the gathering, but he does, you know, but for him, that's, it's a, there's a, there's a point there's winning is the point. Yeah. 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 It being something he's good at could be the point. Yeah. Um, Owen, I think the problem was when he was around Reed's age, he didn't see the point of hanging out with other kids just to do it. And I think (laughs) that meant he wound up with not like when, school went away yeah. for quite some time people just kind of he just dropped off yeah he dropped off the social yeah. list for a lot of kids because he wasn't trying he wasn't trying to maintain those connections and he had never tried that hard and so no one's having birthday parties anymore okay owen doesn't go to birthday right. parties like all yeah. of those things so he wasn't on anyone's a list because he didn't see the point yeah. for a long time and now i think that we're seeing the yeah. The effects of that, right? Yeah. Because how do you get yeah. back on the A list now? Right. Um, when you're that sort of transactional about that. Yeah. And I think it's shifted to now he's got older friends that he plays video games with and his brother, yeah. his brothers and his dad. So yeah. it's not that he has no social life. I just, it just doesn't look the way I think he'd probably prefer it did, or yeah. maybe the way I would prefer it did, which is could be very different. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think the biggest change I've noticed in Reed, and I, I, I feel pretty sure that it's kind of a, season of life type of thing is in the past, he would, he would need a solo reset after, you know, a busy family activity or after school sports or whatever. And now it's like, he still of course needs the solitude reset, but he doesn't seem as happy within it. If that makes sense. Uh, Like I know he needs it. Um, but it, it looks more like moping around rather Mm -hmm. than being like engaged in a Lego set or a puzzle like the old days. Okay, well, as as very often happens on this show, we didn't solve anything. Um, no. But actually, neither did the article, and I don't mean that as a slight toward the writer at all. I, I think um, it made me think a lot, and it made me reflect on my own aloneness as a kid and that of my children. And I think the kind of answer is it is necessary. It's not always pretty or doesn't always look 
like that romanticized vision we have, but it is, there are good things happening when kids are alone. It's worth making space for your kids to get to be alone. It's worth having them, um, practice for those who it's really hard for like Violet, like to work toward those skill sets. Um, and I guess like, I'll just close with the thing that's hardest for me right now. I didn't even mention this, but as a mom of teenagers, it's very hard for me not to judge the pursuits that my kids choose to do while alone. Like I think of what I would want to be doing, reading a book or cooking and the, the choosing to be alone at all ages, but I think especially as a preteen or teen, it just might look like wasting time or lolling around, you know, like their giant feet hanging over the edge of a couch. It's still probably doing something. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, and I think that what I kind of came away from this article with is that anytime there's a, like a thinky piece with a title, like how much blank does a kid need? I feel like the answer is always, we don't know. And it depends. Yeah, absolutely. It's always like, um, TBD. We don't know yet. It's still being determined by the time we figure it out too late for the kids that are kids. Now it's good for us to think about this stuff, but the answer would have been different for every single one of my kids. And I don't know that in the moment I could have made that call from any of them. Right. Um, or even really predicted how activity schedules at school and their personality quirks and, um, technology would impact that. I, I don't think like, it's great for us to try and for us to be on top of the stuff as we can, but we put so much pressure on ourselves to like figure it out and optimize. And that I, throughout time, there were probably kids who did really well in large families, all crowded into one bed, maybe even some kids who did great. Like, I don't know, working when they were young, but we don't make decisions for all kids because of that now, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think hopefully what the article and uh, maybe this episode, too, can do is at least alleviate some of the concern. If you do have a kid who appears to be more of a loner, I think this this research makes a good case for why there can be some really important stuff going on for kids who seem to like to spend a lot of time on their own. So, yeah, there's so there's that. Get them a board and a snowbank and they will be (laughs) happy forever. Oh, Bordy. Well, we will wrap up on that note and talk to everybody soon. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits in self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. 
That's Erica with a K, E R I K A dot A P P, and use code the mom hour to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes. 